Well, Rockbridge, uh, welcome to uh, whichever service, whichever location, however you're watching. My name is Matt, and I just want to begin by talking about what I think our whole world is talking about, which is the coronavirus and, and steps that uh, our government and a lot of institutions are taking to protect us and protect our, our people. And, and so at Rockbridge, we're, we're trying to walk a fine line which is we take this very seriously, but we can also take it seriously without being enslaved by it or, or fear. And, and so we've uh, instituted some precautions and taken some steps. And so I have posted a blog, and it's on our social media, that just kind of outlines some things that we're doing. We're in six locations, and, and different communities at this point are responding at different paces and in different ways. And we're in those conversations with them, and, uh, and we're going to do everything we can do to um, uh, keep everybody safe, to be wise, but keep worshiping and keep uh, in the Word of God and, and keep proclaiming the hope that we have in Christ. So effective immediately this weekend, starting on... Uh, on this Sunday, we all we have an online service opportunity that's available, and you can find the link for that on our website, www.rockbridge.cc. You can interact. There'll be a pastor that hosts it. You can submit a prayer request. It's very interactive, very, very user-friendly, so you can take advantage of that. We do need everybody to understand that people that are um, above around the age of 60 and people that might be immunocompromised or have some kind of uh, pre-existing conditions are being advised to stay away from crowds and things of that nature. If we have to cancel services, we're not going to cancel. We're going to redirect you to uh, an online experience or a virtual experience. And so all of that's going to be available on our social media channels and on our website. Just want to ask you to check those a little more frequently. So, but, but here's the bottom line. No matter what we have to do in response to this, we also have an opportunity in this because we have the total answer to what people are already talking about. There's never been a time that I can remember in my life where you can ask this question and it won't feel weird or awkward or odd. Hey, what do you think about dying and death? Because it's making us all think about it, right? And guess what? Whether we meet virtually or physically, we have the answer to that question. We have the hope beyond whatever a virus does. We have a hope that goes past the grave. And that's what we get to talk about. And that's what we get to help our friends and neighbors deal with. Not with a spirit of fear, but with the spirit of love and hope. So let's be the church for such a time as this. All right, Rockbridge, all locations, six locations, multiple, well, one church, multiple locations, multiple languages. We're going to jump into our uh, part two of our series, 30 Days to Live. If you missed last week, I would just encourage you to take advantage of, of being able to go onto our, our, our website and listen to that or watch that uh, as the, these messages are definitely going to build. But let, let me just ask this question, uh, if, like for married couples here, you can point or you can raise your hand. Uh, who gets the last word in your marriage, right? Right? 
Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, guys, you better keep your hands down, right? Uh, but but in, in any, have you noticed this, that any relationship, there, there's always this sense of who gets the last word and who really gets the last word. And you know what I mean by last word, kind of the final say, whether it's where we go on vacation or what we eat or uh, what movie we go to or what color we paint the walls. You better let her raise the hand on that one, guys. But, but everybody understands what I'm talking about. In, in your job, there's somebody that gets the, the last word. When you make decisions, there's someone whose word you kind of give a little more weight to than other people. And so when we think about the last word, we really think about who has the final authority, the final say, whose voice counts the most or we hear the loudest. Now, when it comes to the topic that we're talking about, which is death, all of us here today want to believe something. We do, we want, we, we don't, we do not want to believe that death gets the last word. There's not a single person that wants to believe that. And, and so that's why, as we talked about last week, we will avoid talking about the D word. We will try to push it and postpone it. We don't want to go there. We, we just don't want to talk about it. We'll, we'll even believe certain things uh, about this word that will make us feel better. Whether those certain things are true or not is irrelevant. If we can convince ourselves that, hey, uh, you know, after death, everybody just kind of goes to a good place or, uh, you know, after death, we just sort of cease to exist. That's called annihilationism. We just sort of believe things that sort of make us feel like this doesn't really have the, the last word. But then sometimes we'll live and betray that and we'll live as if, well, it really does get the, the last word. And, and so we're going to talk through that because here's what I said last week. Thinking biblically or correctly about death can actually be life-giving. Thinking biblically about death can be, uh, can be life-giving. And so what we're going to talk about today is a truth that is very, very powerful. And this can be true for you. This statement that death does not get the last word, will not get the last word, can be true for all of us. And, and so let's unpack that. And, and we're going to go to the book of 2 Timothy. And it's, we're just going to hang out in chapter 1. And let me give you a little bit of background. In, in 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul is writing this to his protege, Timothy. And, and Paul is facing his own imminent death. He's in prison. He will never get out of this, this prison. And he will be persecuted or martyred or killed for, his, for being a Christian. And his young protege, Timothy, is sort of watching his, 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 his mentor in prison, his mentor facing death. And Timothy is sort of surrounded by fear. And we'll unpack what his fear is. But Paul, who's facing death, Paul, who, who history tells us is going to die shortly after he writes this letter to his protege, Timothy, Paul is going to talk about a, a, a life, an opportunity where death does, is not going to have the last word in, in Paul's life. And, and his mentor is sort of leaning that may, maybe death does have the last word. And, and so we're going to watch this dynamic play out in, in the Word of God. And as it plays out between Paul and Timothy and what's going on here, let's let it play out in our souls and our spirits. And, and let's walk out of here today with hope. That death cannot touch, that death cannot take away. We'll start reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 6. 
Therefore, what's come in, five, in verse 4 and 5 is Paul's reminded Timothy of how he became a Christ follower through the influence of some godly women in his life. And so he says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God <coughs> excuse me, that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's like, Timothy, Timothy, now is not the time for you to shrink back, for you to disengage, for you to leave your post. Now is not the time, Timothy, for you to, you know, cower in fear or to withdraw, but it's time for you to get fired up again. It's time for you to re-engage. It's time for you to take what God gave you and keep using it on the front lines of the fight of faith. That's, that's, his, that's the gist of, of what he's saying right there. And he says, listen, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, Paul's writing that, and he's, he's about to die. It seems like Timothy should be saying that to Paul, right? But no, 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 Paul is saying that, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of sound judgment. And right in that statement, I'll ask this question. What do you think is more deadly than death? What's more deadly than death? I, I'm going to tell you what's more deadly than death. It's the spirit of fear. Because the spirit of fear can keep you from life. Yeah, you now you can be alive biologically, but dead in every other way. And so when Paul's writing to Timothy... He does not want Timothy to succumb to a spirit of fear. And it's a real temptation, and it's a real option, and and there's a lot of things that can make us that way, but there's something else that can overcome this, and that's what Paul is going to talk to Timothy about. So, So he goes on, he says to Timothy, he says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Now, what what would make Timothy be ashamed of Paul? who's in prison, who's about to die, what would make Timothy be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus Christ? Now, let's first get a good definition of what shame is. Shame is the intense feeling that's caused by guilt. I I did something wrong, and I feel bad about it. Shortcoming. Shortcoming could be, hey, I, 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 ran, I, I ran a race and my time was bad. I, I, I went to work and, man, I just botched the presentation or I didn't make the sale. I just came up short. It's not necessarily a moral shortcoming. It could just be a shortcoming in performance or impropriety. You know, I, 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 I went to the, the, the party and I was wearing my Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and a flip-flop, flip-flops, and everybody was in a coat and tie, you know, and I'm just sort of ashamed at how I am dressed. And, and, and so it seems to me what's going on is Timothy is looking at Paul and Christianity. And Christianity is causing Paul to be in prison. And Christianity and being a Christian is causing Paul to face his own death. And Timothy's like, man, is this whole Christianity thing, is it coming up short? I would imagine Timothy is thinking, could the same thing happen to me that's happening to my mentor? And it's like this. We have this tendency. We have this tendency... And, and let, me just draw some, let me just put some bookends right here, okay? So let, let, let's talk. This, this bookend is, is like our birth, right? And, and this bookend is like our death. And, and, and we don't know really, as we talked about last week, we don't know if we get this amount of time or if we get this amount of time. But let's just keep it here, birth and, and death. And, and so Timothy's looking inside Paul's life, 
in the life of a Christ follower in the first century. And he's just, he, he's tempted to be afraid of what might happen in here. And he's also tempted to be ashamed of the shortcomings or presumed shortcomings of what might happen here. And, and so we have this tendency, and the tendency is that we evaluate uh, life based on what happens between the bookends of birth and death. We evaluate life based upon what happens between the bookends of birth and death. Do I suffer? Did I get what I wanted in my 20s? Where am I in my 40s? Where am I in my 60s? You know, oh my goodness, I may not even make it to my 40s, or I may not make it to my 70s, or I might not make it to retirement, and that feels wrong, that feels bad. And so Timothy's just sort of having this evaluative look at Paul's life, at the life of a Christ follower, and, and what that means. And what, what happens is when we evaluate life between these two bookends, the, the, the day you were born and the day you die, or, or that you think you'll die, or whatever. And again, we learned last week this is somewhat uncertain, right? We don't know where, how, how, much we, how much time we have. That was part one. So when we do this, there's a couple of things that we do. If that's how we look at life, one, of the, one option we have is, well, we just try to pack it all in. We just try to pack it all in. Now, here's what I mean by that. So, so we don't know, but here, here's what we do. So we take life, and, man, we've just got to pack it all in. We've got to make a bunch of money. We need a family, uh, you know, little Debbies. We've got to have some little Debbies because that's pleasurable, and here's some more pleasure. Oh, and we've got to have fun, and we've got to have fun. And we just sort of try to pack it all in. And then here's the challenge, right? If this, your death date, is earlier than you think it should be or you think it's supposed to be, what happens? Well, I'm not going to have enough time to get everything done. And so my life, I'm, I'm ashamed or I'm afraid I won't or I'm afraid this could fall off or this could be taken from me. And so what we then do, right, is we build this thing called a bucket list, and we're hoping, we're hoping we have enough time to get everything done on our list. And then when we have a pack-it-all-in mentality, if we're uncertain, and that death date's uncertain, it's last week, then we give in to fear and worry. And we give in to fear and worry because it's like, well, what if, I, what if I don't get through this? And, and so you know, anything that threatens my pleasure, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm angry about or I'm worried about or I'm fearful about. If you prevent me from, you know, having some fun, if you take my ball, if you threaten me, then I'm angry at you or I might be bitter towards you because I'll never get this opportunity again. Right? Those are real emotions. And, and now, why is that? Because we're evaluating life between our birth date and our death date. And then what we do, when we, when we live that way, we shrink our life down to the size of our situations. So if we have a good day, man, life is good. If we have a bad day, oh, life is bad, right? And our life is just defined by these roller coasters. Did I get it today? Did I not get it today? Did, did I cram it all in? Is it, am I on track to have, quote, a full life? And, and, and then, you, you, know, you, you know, sometimes people blow things out of proportion. You know, sometimes people make everything as a drama for them. Because what if, what if, you know, and it's just, we're in bondage to this 
bookend mentality. And it's really, here's the challenge though, it's really ultimately a dead-end path. And now why is it a dead-end path? Because eventually we bump up against this. And we can't take this with us. And we may not have gotten as many of them as we wanted because our date was a little closer than we had hoped. And so that's just a dead-end way to live. But that's sort of the tension that's emerging in this dynamic between Paul and Timothy and what he's fearing and what he's ashamed of and or is he ashamed. And, and so Paul is course correcting. Paul, who's, who's coming up pretty close to this date right here, right? And so he gives Timothy a, a, an alternative. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Instead, instead, instead of being afraid, Instead of being ashamed, instead of evaluating Christianity by my imprisonment and my pending death and the fact that you're a pastor, Timothy, and you're a Christ follower, Timothy, and the same thing that's happening to me could happen to you. You just don't know. Instead, he says, share in suffering for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. He says, join me in this. Now, now, that doesn't sound like a great invitation, does it? I mean, hey, come to the party. I like that. Because nobody, any, anybody that wants to suffer in this, in this little compressed time between birth and death, you question their right, their, are you in your right mind? But he says, share in suffering with me. Share in suffering for the gospel. No, 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 we're supposed to have comfort and convenience and pleasure and fun and achieve and do and go and have fun. And, 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 oh, and, and I just don't see suffering on my bucket list, Paul. But he's, that's what he says. He says, share in suffering. Relying on the power of God. And he's going to unpack what the power of God is. As he says this, he says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, let me use this, this word holy. Sometimes you think about it as people who are really, really good people. When he, holy really just means separate, different, distinct, other. So when we, when we see it in this context, he's not saying Timothy like uh, is like this perfect person. Paul's not a perfect person. We'll see that in just a second. What he's saying is live in here with a different mentality. Live in these bookends, not with a pack-it-all-in mentality. Live in here. Don't, don't shrink your life just to what happens here. Live differently. Live with different things. Don't, don't let the spirit of fear, spirit of shame get you in, this, in, this bookend, in these bookends. He says, so there's a holy calling to live differently. And it's not according to our works. So we're saved and we're called, not because we're good enough, nobody's good enough, not because we're, we're, we're goody two-shoes and we're perfect and, and we're righteous. And all that. No, no, no. It's, we don't earn this. We don't deserve this. We receive this, this gospel, this calling. He says, but it's really according to God, his own purpose and grace, which is a free gift, unearned, undeserved, can't buy it, can't earn it. God doesn't owe it. It's just gift. But according to his grace, which was given to us, and this is going to blow our minds. I, I, I want us all loving God with our minds. Here we go. Listen. Given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
So, so, so look, 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 look. What did he just do? He just said, look, we look at our life from our birth date. God had us in mind before there was a birth date. Your life was in the mind and the heart of God before it was in the mind of your parents. Let that blow your mind for just a minute. So, so you're looking at when, you know, when your life began, you were born or you were conceived or you showed up and the doctor said, it's a boom, you, right? But God had you in mind way before then. Way before then. Now, that means there's no accidents listening to me right now. That, that means there's nobody listening to me right now that God can't call, that God can't save, that God can't give hope to, that God won't give His Son to. There's nobody here outside of those boundaries. Now, now then we say, well, okay, but before time again, well, how do we know this was going on? And, and, and now he, he's going to explain it. He says this. He goes, this has now, what he's just been talked about, saved, called, before time began, gift of grace in Christ Jesus. This now has been made evident, and, and we get the word evidence, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. Would everybody say abolished death on three? One, two, three. Abolished death. You'll never lock eyes with someone who would not want to know that. Ever. Because we would love to believe, what? That death doesn't have the final word. And that's what Paul's saying. But, but look what he's saying. This is not based on a feeling. This is not based on some guy got in a room and came up with a theory. It's on evidence. Hard, actual, factual evidence. So he says this, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has abolished death and has brought what? Life and immortality to light through the gospel. To light through the gospel. To light through the gospel. So something that was not known is now known. Which is to say... There's more to our life than just a birth date and a death date. There's something that precedes your birth date in the heart and the mind of God. And there's something that comes after or proceeds your death date. I've got to think about that for just a minute, right? Because we're just not accustomed to living that way or thinking that way. And then a little virus shows up in here and forces us to do some thinking, doesn't it? A plane, a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California shows up in here. An unexpected tragic funeral shows up in here. And suddenly this seems kind of small and insignificant. And suddenly it's like, is this all there is? God's like, no, that's not, this is not it. There's more. And so in Paul to Timothy, you hear kind of this invitation to a holy life, a different kind of mentality, a different kind of mindset. And it's enabled, and this is the power of God. And it's to, to live called 
and connected to a greater story. It's one authored by God. Now see, when I say greater story, I mean a story greater than birth to death. See, if you're writing your story, this is all you can control and this is all you got, right? In between these bookends. And you'll want the bucket list and you'll fear the virus and you'll fear death and you'll fear somebody getting in your way because you've only got one life to live and you don't want to miss anything, right? You'll do all that. But there's a greater story that began before you were born and God had you in mind and one that continues afterwards, after you die. Now, that's the story of, uh, that he's talking about when he's talking about the gospel. When we say gospel, he, he, what are we talking about? Well, it's the story of God. Okay? God, has, God authored something. He, he, he made creation. That's you and me. That's the air we breathe. That's the stars we'll see. That's the sun. That's the earth. That's the rotation. That's H2O. That's nitrogen. That's atmosphere. That's the biological cycle. That's all that stuff. And it's perfect harmony. And, and then we rebelled against God. Adam and Eve did. I, Matt Evans did. All of us rebelled against God. We said, we'll do it our way. And, and that caused a fall and that fall introduced a bookend that God did not originally have in mind with us. And that bookend we called death. And then God said, well, I, I had this all in mind before this happened. And so I'm gonna, I have this in mind. And so what does he do? I'm going to rescue them by Jesus. And so God sends Jesus, okay, to, to live in here, to live in this. Okay? To, to, to taste what we taste, to experience temptation, to teach, to show us what it's truly mean to be a, a human being in a relationship with a, with a God. And, and then Jesus tasted death for us. And, and they put a big stone and sealed it, right? And put guards around it when they buried him. And it's like, well, he's just like the rest of us. Death's his dead end. Death, he had a birthday, Christmas, he had a dead... And then on Easter, that stone got rolled away. And Jesus says, anybody that gives me the steering wheel of their life and trusts me and says yes to a holy calling... And says yes to salvation by grace through faith. Death is no longer a dead end. It's just a milestone on the journey. Amen. Who doesn't need to hear that? Who doesn't need to know about that? And then, and then God says, look, one day I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to start doing it now. But there's always a not yet. There's, not, there's stuff God has not yet taken care of. One day he's going to take care of coronaviruses and earthquakes and wars and sin. Listen, not yet. But now he's rolled the stone away. And he won't leave you in death any more than he left his son in the grave. So now we can say this, by God's grace, my dead end has been replaced with Jesus' empty tomb. See, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, when you accept Christ as your King and you give Him the steering wheel of your life, what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. 
So God rolled the stone. The stone was rolled away. There's an empty tomb. So God will not leave you in death any more than he would leave Jesus in the, in the tomb. Death has been, we said it, abolished. Look how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin causes death. But thanks be to God, rescue, restoration. We said it. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So death doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. God has won, and he invites us to win with him. Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Don't look at it the way everybody else looks at it. Don't evaluate it by, I'm in prison and I'm going to die. I'm I'm not going to die. Because he rolled the stone away. I'm very much alive. Because death has been abolished. And victory has been achieved. Powerful, right? But, 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 but here's the beautiful thing. Now, I want everybody that calls themselves a Christ follower. Paul didn't stop there. He doesn't stop with, hey, death's been abolished. He lives differently because death's been abolished. Look, look what he says. For this good news, and who doesn't need that good news? Who does not need the good news of we're not bookended, right? The tomb, the stone, has, the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. God has a plan that precedes you and proceeds your death. Who doesn't need that? So for this gospel, Paul says, I was appointed a herald. I tell people about it. An apostle. I start churches centered around that truth. And a teacher, I teach people what it means to live under the lordship of a risen Jesus Christ. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded or convinced that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So, so look, 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 what day is he talking about? He's not talking about a day between birthday and death day. He's talking about a day that comes after his physical death. In other words, something better is coming for me, and it's better than anything I could squeeze in here, anything I could pack in here, anything on my bucket list. What's going to come out here because death's been defeated and death's been abolished is going to be better. So I... I'm willing to, in this time that I have, I'm willing to be a herald, an apostle, a teacher, to tell people the good news that, hey, the stone was placed there, but it was rolled away, death's been abolished, and the best comes out here. That's part three next week. We talk about heaven. So look look what Paul's saying. Look how Paul views struggles and suffering. See, when you struggle, when you go through adversity, struggles either function as a liar and a thief or as part of the story. Struggles will lie to you. Struggles will say, God doesn't love you because this is bad right now. 
Struggles will tell you, hey, God's not in control. Struggles will, will say you're no good or God is punishing you or, or, or you're a victim or, or you know, the, the best you can hope for is just a sort of a low-grade anger and a low-grade frustration the rest of your life. Lie to you. Or, or struggles will act like a thief because, hey, they took this stuff from me and I'll never have another chance to be 21. I'll never have another chance at my first marriage. I'm so mad at my ex. Struggles will act like a thief or just part of the story. And the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Prison didn't take anything from Paul. Death by Nero didn't take anything from Paul. They were just part of the story. And the best is always yet to come. So Paul says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve in the story of God. See, see, most of us, you know, what, you know what our mistake is? Most of us want God to serve our little bitty story. God, help me. Come on, God. We want God to serve us in our story. And God's like, no, 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 no. I've got a story in mind that was before you got here. And I've got a story that continues, <coughs> excuse me, after your death date. And if you're in Christ, I've rolled the stone away and I won't leave you in death any more than I left Jesus in the grave. And most of us, you know what we're asking God to do? We're saying, God, would you postpone my death date? Postpone my death date so I can get as much done, as much in right here. And you know what Jesus says? I, I, I'm not as much interested in postponing your death date because I've overcome your death for you. Right? Now, in all of that, let me step back just a minute. Okay? We have to walk through this life with wisdom. So there's a difference between a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of fear. Okay? Yeah, it's wise. It's wise to do certain things in here. Take care of your body. Wash your hands. It may, it may be wise to, for a season, not be around large crowds. You know, it, God, God, in, in here, God may call you or me to, to be a missionary in a foreign location. And it's risky to do that. But it may be wise to have like evacuation insurance. God may say, go work um, 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 among the, the African peoples that have high incidences of HIV. But, and that's a risk. And don't be fearful. But the wisdom might be, well, wear, wear gloves or wear a mask around. I mean, uh, there's wisdom. But, but fear doesn't have the last word because death doesn't have the last word. God has the last word. Now, I'm going to ask everybody a question in just a minute. But before I ask you this question, I want everybody to write down a name, and it could be your name. And, and here, here's what I want to ask, okay? Who do you know that needs to know what you just heard? Who do you know that needs to know death has been abolished, victory in Christ? Some of you, it may be you. And you need to give Christ the steering wheel of your life. You need to say, yes, Jesus, save me, be my Lord. My life is in your hands.
Some of you have family members, have friends. And I just want you write their initials down on your bulletin, on your next step card, doesn't matter. On your hand, doesn't matter. But would you pray for them? And pray that God would give you an opportunity. In this season, and we're coming close to Easter. In this season, give you an opportunity to share some good news or invite them to a church experience with you. Just write down some initials. And if it's your name, maybe you need to have a conversation with one of our team members, our pastors, our ministers. Maybe when we close our service in a few minutes, you need to say, God, I hear you calling me. I see what you did for me. I'm going to say yes to you. Now, here's the question. And then our campus pastors are going to come up and close our services and give us instructions and, and help us continue worshiping God. Here's our question, okay? As you, as you look at your life and you evaluate it, right? As we've been doing, we evaluate your life. Is your life motivated more by victory? The Christ-given, Christ-achieved victory? Or is your life more motivated by hope-sos and what-ifs? Man, I hope this works out. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Or is your life motivated by too many could-haves, should-haves, would-haves, and it's just filled with regret? If you're in hope-so and what-if, if you're in could-haves, should-haves, would-haves, you're not looking at the totality of the story. You're not looking at God had you in mind before your mom and dad did. And what's the best that's yet to come occurs after your death date. <coughs> and you can't mess that up. And a virus and cancer and a tsunami can't mess that up. The only thing that messes that up is if you say no to Jesus Christ. And no to that victory. Why don't we all say yes? Why don't we all go out and live our yes? Why don't we all go out and tell people about our yes? So at all of our campuses, our campus pastors, venue pastors, they're going to come up right now. Just share some next steps with you and lead you as we continue to worship the risen, reigning, ruling King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ.